Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So today I just learned about something called pun dimensionality. Uh, uh-huh. I was reading around and and so apparently from this article, which I'll post at linearregressions.com, the dimensionality of a pun is the number of meaningful interpretations, minus one. So if a pun has one funny meaning, it's a one-dimensional pun. And, and then, of course, from there, you got zero-dimensional puns, which are not puns at all because they have zero punny meanings, right? That's just regular uh, speech. Here, here are a couple examples, uh, actually, from this blog post. The phrase, I solved the garbage problem, is a zero-dimensional pun. That's to say it's not a pun at all. The phrase, I solved the garbage problem, is a 1D pun because solve is an old way of saying salvaged. You could add a second layer by saying, I solved the makeup department's garbage problem because makeup department, ointment, solve, that's a 2D pun. The most painful puns are 2, 3, 4D puns. So... If these intros ever get, well, painful, we could try dimensionality reduction. And that's exactly <laughs> what we're going to talk about today. Well, not exactly, but like you you committed so fully to that to that pun intro that, uh, sure, dimensionality reduction, that's yeah. where we're going to land. <laughs> You're listening to Linear Digressions. The thing we're actually going to talk about, it's not unrelated to dimensionality reduction. We're going to talk about factorization machines, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an algorithm that's particularly good for dealing with high-dimensional sparse data. So that's kind of the connection here. But the application is one that's pretty familiar. Uh, Well, there are a lot of applications, actually. But the one that we'll go through today is kind of the classic movie recommendation engine problem uh, and talk about like what a factorization machine is and how it compares to some of the other ways you might solve this problem. So the movie recommendation problem is pretty familiar. If you've ever used something like Netflix, you've probably already encountered it. Uh, So there's lots and lots of movies on Netflix, and there's lots and lots of subscribers to Netflix. And so you have, if you were to make a matrix and it's all the subscribers by all the movies, and you have some kind of uh, viewership data or ratings data, then you would have this big sparse matrix where most of the entries in that matrix are zero because most of the people have not seen most of the movies. And so just to clarify, each of the movies that's in the database is considered a dimension and it can either be zero or it could be one based on whether you've seen the movie or you've not seen the movie. And the reason that it's almost all zeros or the reason it's so sparse is that most people haven't seen most movies. Yep, yep. And... So then what you're usually trying to do is something like recommend to people new movies that they would enjoy based on the movies that they've already seen. And this is not necessarily a good fit for kind of your off-the-shelf classification problem. So the way that you could could try to formulate this as a classification problem, and I guess what it would look like is you would have maybe some kind of multi-class classifier where you're trying to predict one or many of like thousands and thousands of labels where each label is a movie and the attributes of each person are all the other movies that they've seen. And so what you end up with here is that's not a particularly good arrangement for like most machine learning algorithms. You imagine having Mm -hmm. a decision tree that's got 10,000 dimensions going into it and that moreover for each person because they haven't seen most of the movies there that the information for each person in each training example is going to be like 
pretty spread out across all those dimensions. It's not very, it's not very densely packed in. So that's just kind of a, that's just kind of a messy spot to be in from a machine learning perspective. That makes a lot of sense. So then how do you, how do you address that kind of a problem? Yeah. So let me talk about one of the standard ways that you can do it. And this is not the main topic of the, of the podcast, but it's going to come into play later. So the first is you can treat it as kind of a matrix factorization problem. And the idea of matrix factorization is you, you have this big sparse matrix, and that's kind of a little too unwieldy for you to work with. But the gist of matrix factorization is maybe we can formulate that matrix as a product of two other matrices. And each of those matrices has a lower dimension than the big one. So the kind of heuristic way to think about this is instead of trying to predict every movie for every person independently, you say there are certain types of people who watch movies. So instead of thinking of your user base as having, let's say, millions of people in it, it might have tens or hundreds or at most thousands of types of people. And each of those types of people are kind of like similar to the people who are in their type, right? Like you have like action fans or you have people who like old timey movies or people who are really into like uh, cinematography and and film craft and all this sort of stuff, all the different attributes of the of the people. And then likewise, the movies you can think of as not all independent of each other, but instead that there's some lower dimensional space that like represents most of the information around the movies. So there's like certain types of movies. And so when you're trying to predict if a certain person likes a certain movie, instead of that information being kind of pulled out independent of all the other types of information, instead what you do is you think about it in that lower dimensional space. What type of person is this? What type of movie is this? And that that can be an easier way of trying to figure out if they're going to like it or not. Mm, That makes sense. So you're reducing all of these different movies uh I mean, I guess one way to think about it would be almost by genre, but it's not actually by genre because that's the way maybe a human would choose to look at it. It's instead trying to find patterns that maybe go deeper or maybe aren't as apparent. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the genres might be kind of apparent, but yeah, it's a it's a machine learning algorithm. It's not necessarily trying to make anything that's human interpretable. Mm. Anyway, the phrase to remember here is that process is called factorization. So we have this kind of like big sparse thing and we want to represent it in this lower dimensional space. We will come back to that in just a moment. Um, So, but we are not talking about matrix factorization per se today. We're talking about a slightly different algorithm and it's called factorization machines. And so the idea of factorization machines is they're kind of like support vector machines, if you're familiar with those a little bit. Um, If not, it's not a deal breaker. We can maybe like come back to them in some other episode. Support vector machines are pretty nice algorithms for a lot of types of machine learning problems, but they fall apart under these sparsity conditions. And so factorization machines is the idea is, can we have something that's sort of like a support vector machine, but with some factorization buried in the middle of it? So what does this actually look like? So let's take the case of we're trying to predict if a certain person is going to like a certain movie. So let's think about this as kind of a simple linear regression type problem, where what we're trying to do is predict how much someone is going to like a particular movie. If you wanted to formulate this in kind of a linear regression kind of way, then the features that you would have 
as your inputs to whether a person likes a movie are some kind of global bias to how much people in general seem to like movies. So maybe there's like a baseline on a scale of uh, one to five, we'll say that most of them are zeros. And then sometimes people give four or five stars, probably not that often people give one, two or three. So you might have like an average of like 0.01 stars for just kind of like as a baseline. Then you have as other features like for this person, how much do they seem to like movies in general? Mm, And that's to kind of account for the people who rate everything four and five stars as opposed to the people who maybe are a bit more spread out or the people who tend to rate things generally lower. Yep. And then the last is, does this particular person, you know, the, the, all the information that's encoded in that very sparse part of it, uh, how does this particular person feel about this particular movie? And so that's where you get the dimensionality really blowing up is those, what we would call in, in sort of a linear, linear model type um, situation, we call these the interaction terms. So it's the idea that you have features of your people, you have features of your movies, and then you have like features that are predictive of whether someone is going to like a movie. There's a function of both the person and the movie. Uh, so these these are things that are not uh, universal to the person or not universal to the movie. It's like the fact that certain people feel very strongly about certain types of movies. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So those interaction terms in linear models are usually where the dimensionality starts to blow up because even if you have a reasonably low dimensional space that you're working with, like maybe you have 10 features on each person uh, and maybe you have a hundred features on each movie or something like that's only 110 features that you have to worry about when you're fitting your model. But once you start to introduce the interaction terms between the features of the person and the features of the movie, then it's 10 times a hundred and that's a thousand. So you've just made your data set, you know, 10 times bigger, basically, than it was before. And of course, like, if you have more than 10 features on a person, uh, then this can get very, very big very quickly. So this is where the dimensionality blows up, is in those interaction terms. But it's also where a lot of the the actual learning of the algorithm happens, right? Because that's the thing that we're really trying to get at with recommendation engines is like, what's the interaction between the type of person you are and the type of movie that this is? And what does that tell us about whether you're going to like it? So the way that an SVM would solve this problem is it would generate all of those two-way interaction terms, or sometimes you can have like three-way interaction terms, four-way interaction terms. Um, We'll just stick with like sort of the two-way simple case we've done so far. So what a support vector machine does without getting into it too much is it's an algorithm that you send in the features and one of the things that it can do is generate all of those two-way interaction terms across all of the different combinations of features and take those into account in part of the modeling process. And the problem with this in our movie recommendation example is that then you have this huge sparse matrix and an SVM kind of falls apart. Because each one of those interaction terms, it treats as independent of all the other interaction terms. So it has to keep track of, in our case here, a thousand different interaction terms that each might have their own, their own weight in the model, their own coefficient in when it's doing its fitting. When you say they all trace differently, what do you mean by that? So it means that, um, let's imagine that I am watching 
I watch Star Trek. And oh, I, I love give Star it, Trek. Huh? I love Star Trek. Please rate oh. it highly. Okay, so I give it five stars. All right. Um, and then let's say that I also watch Star Wars, right? Mm. And Star Trek and Star Wars. I. It's an age-old battle. Yeah. Well, choose your sides wisely. Let me wisely. let me tread dangerously here and say that those movies are like not that different. Um, mm. They're like adventures in space. Yeah. I know that this isn't like strictly speaking correct, but like just go with me here for a second, okay? Right. Sure. Um, or let's say it's like Star Trek. Uh, Wrath of Khan versus Star Trek. What was one of the uh, some other Star Trek movie? Like a, uh, the like one where they really have the whales. One. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So anyway, you could we say have... the whales one as opposed to the one directed by uh, Shatner. That's Star Trek Five, the the final frontier. Pretty bad movie. Nerd. Anyway, so we have two. Let's say we'll take the star, the two Star Trek examples, just to like mm-hmm. stay on the right side of the law here. So there's two Star Trek movies. I've watched one of them and I gave it five stars. And I watched the second one and let's say I also gave it five stars. Oh. And so to an SVM, it would say like, here's two completely separate pieces of information, right? You like Star Trek one, you like Star Trek two, and we've learned two things. Now, that's kind of what I mean by it being uncoupled, that there's no, that each of them is independent. Mm. What a factorization machine does is instead of treating each of those interactions as independent of all the other ones, it does some matrix factorization on them to try to project them down into that lower dimensional space that we were talking about before. Mm, right. And so and what a factorization machine, with. yeah, what a factorization machine is going to do is it's going to, you know, if it sees lots of people who are watching Star Trek and Star Wars kind of like in the same combinations, they're giving them similar ratings, that's going to be represented in that lower dimensional space as like, mm. hey, oh, I forgot, T- two different Star Trek movies, excuse me. It, hey, it seems like there's all these movies that seem to be kind of moving together. Let's call them right. Star Trek writ large. And so then when I see that uh, that you rate one of them like in a certain way, uh, then I'm going to like project that to to make a guess about how you would rate all the other movies that are kind of like close to it in that lower dimensional space. Right. That makes sense. So what you want, yeah, so what ends up happening is that you have, uh, it's really kind of nice because it controls the, that dimensional blow up, that dimensionality blow up, uh, like you still get it, but then it immediately kind of wrangles it back down to a lower dimensional space. And it also means that effectively you can use information from related interactions to learn about interactions that you haven't seen before. So, for example, if uh, I really liked Star Trek and I also really liked Titanic and you haven't seen Titanic, but you really liked Star Wars and Star Wars is kind of like Star Trek, then what this what a what a factorization machine can kind of like do is it can say like, okay, Ben and Katie both liked these two movies that seem pretty similar. So Ben and Katie might like the same kind of movie katie likes titanic which is pointing off in some other direction right it has nothing to do with star wars or star trek or anything like oh, that it, but it seems because... to have nothing to do <laughs> but the score to titanic and star trek 2 and 3 were both written by james horner oh fun fact just gotta drop that in there uh this knowledge doesn't ha- doesn't um isn't useful very often so 
Uh, your nerd street cred is just simultaneously going up and down so can, much for me right now. Can we just talk about Star Trek every episode? Uh, that would be all of our examples. No, okay, I wouldn't. So I wouldn't do this podcast <laughs> But anyway, oh, no. but you but you get the idea. So now that yeah. so now that we're in these kind of lower dimensional spaces, it means that we're kind of working in terms of types of movies or types of people or whatever these lower dimensional representations that we got because of that matrix factorization step. Um, and so it makes it a lot better again for these high dimensional spaces, and it means that uh, things are a little bit more intuitive sometimes uh, when you're thinking about it in terms of people who are similar to each other, movies that are similar to each other. Mm, you can kind yeah. of like move through the little graphs of what kinds of movies people might like in a way that feels kind of intuitive, which is really nice. That's cool. In a way, you're you're creating these um, these profiles by combining movies based on the way that that people tend to like them together or not like them together so like you were just saying you're almost you're almost uh reducing your dimensionality and landing on almost tracking different archetypes of people in a in a sense yeah i mean again usually you, i'm painting <laughs> anyone with a really who's ever broad tried brush, to uh, to interpret yeah like latent spaces of models knows that very often they're they're not very easy to interpret. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's finding kind of common patterns and, and using those to, to represent what's going on rather than looking at the data in all its detail. So anyway, so factorization machines are kind of cool. They're a nice way of solving this recommendation engine problems, and they have, they have some applications in a number of other fields as well. They're also relatively recent as these things go. Like the algorithm or the paper for this, I think, is less than five years old. Um, we will have a link on lineardigressions.com. As always, it's a nice paper, not super long and pretty easy to read. Um, and so that's factorization machines. And you got to talk about Star Trek, so everybody won today. <laughs> oh, and I guess maybe there's one one more quick thing I should add before we go. Uh, computational complexity of this algorithm is like not too hairy, as it turns out. Um, so depending on uh, how complex you want to get with the interaction terms and how high dimensional the data is, uh, basically the runtime complexity of this is the size of that latent space. Like, do you want to do the two-way interactions? Okay, then there's like a factor of two in there. If you want to do three-way interactions, there's a factor of three and so on, um, times the dimensionality of the data. So this isn't like exponential or anything like that uh, with the size of the data, which is quite nice. So you might even say that it's factorization machines that uh, in terms of your movie watching habits might allow you to boldly go where you've never gone before. Oh, it's boldly go where no one has gone before. No man, right? No well, one? you said no one has ever. Oh my gosh! Words matter, but I do. I do appreciate your attempt. I will. Uh, I will consider it an olive branch. <laughs> May the force be with you, Ben. Always. Linear digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lin Digressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.